Hey, thanks for joining us here at the Vineyard Church Podcast. For more video messages and content, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. There's a lot of great resources there that are free and will help you grow closer to God and help you connect with the church. Right now, let's go to our lead pastor, Chris Figueretti, for this week's message. Well, hello and welcome to the Vineyard. Glad that you're here. If you would open your Bible to Mark chapter 4, if you have a digital Bible, you can just click on Mark and then on 4 and you'll be there. If you have a paper Bible, like we're encouraging people to have, and the reason we're encouraging people to have paper Bibles is because you can underline in them and write notes in the margins and stuff. And as we go through this series, through the book of Mark, we want you to have notes along the way and things underlined and circled because you'll begin to make connections that way. So if you have a paper Bible, and you don't know how to find Mark, just go to your index in the front and find Mark, find the page, turn there over a few pages, you're there, you're ready to go. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, didn't Jen preach on Mark chapter 4 two weeks ago? And she did, and she did a phenomenal job with that message. But sometimes a passage has so much in it that it is worth spending a little bit of time there. there are, it's, like a, it's like a fine jewel, you know, there, there are multiple facets to it. And, and Jesus really laid out for his disciples that this was a foundational teaching. Uh, he spends the, Mark spends the first three chapters of his book, really what we've spent the last 12 weeks doing, kind of laying the foundation for the story, uh, establishing Jesus's authority, authority over sickness, authority over uh, the spiritual realm, even authority over the religious leaders, and also uh, establishing this conflict that was brewing between Jesus and the religious leaders, uh, to the point that the religious leaders are now plotting his demise. And, And so, so in chapter four, Mark shifts gears and he goes into Jesus's teaching and specifically teaching through parables. Now, a parable is just a story that illustrates a point. And Jesus was a master of telling parables. In fact, a lot of what he taught was using stories to teach about the kingdom of God. And the main theme of Jesus's teaching all along is this thing called the kingdom of God. And he would start off by saying something like this, the the kingdom of God is like, or what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Now, the parable that we're going to look at here in Mark chapter 4 and verse 1, looking at the other gospels, we're fairly certain this was the first teaching that Jesus did. Um, This was the first teaching on on um, on the kingdom, and, uh, and that makes it very significant. There's a, there's a principle in biblical studies, and it's called the principle of first mention. And if it's the first time that something's mentioned, you want to sp- pay careful attention to it because uh, God's saying something there. And then if it's repeated a bunch of times, that's important too. But this is the first mention, the first teaching on the kingdom. And, and Jesus will later in verse 13 t- tell his disciples, if you don't get this, you're not going to get the rest of what's going on or the rest of what I'm teaching on this. And that's why we're spending this time today, because it's important that you get everything about these passages, because these will be the foundation and the cornerstone for Jesus's teaching from here about the kingdom. So Mark chapter four, verse one, we'll start right there. It says this, again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. 
The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. We talked about this a few weeks ago. This was Jesus's crowd control strategy. Oftentimes they get in a boat, push out, people couldn't crowd in on him, but it also was his, his amplification strategy. So if he could get back a little bit, he could talk to a bigger crowd and his voice would actually echo off the lake and or reflect off the lake and people would be able to hear him. And there's a huge crowd gathered around as he begins to teach. And it says he taught them many things by parables, these stories that illustrate a point. And in his teaching, he said, listen, a farmer went out to sow, sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. So they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some a hundred times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. And everybody was like, what the heck did he just say? I mean, they had no idea. I mean, like if you're a church person, you've been around for a while, you heard somebody teach on this passage before, you're like, oh yeah, that's that, that's that, that's that, because you just know that. They're hearing it for the first time. They're like, why is he talking about agriculture? You know, I mean, they're just like, bravo Jesus, but what the heck was that about? And the reason I know that is because the disciples who've been hanging out with him, who've been spending time with him, when they get alone with him, they ask him. If, if they didn't understand, nobody else would have understood either. In verse 10, it says, when he was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables so that, and then he quotes an Old Testament prophecy, they may be ever seeing but never perceiving and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might be turn or they might turn and be forgiven. And now you're really scratching your head like, why? Why is he speaking in parables? Why parables? You know, oftentimes people say, tell pastors, you know, you got to tell a lot of stories because people can connect with stories and, and you know, they help, help make, make it make sense for folks. But that's not why Jesus was telling stories at all. In fact, he was telling stories to kind of thin out the crowd a little bit, to separate those who were just there for the entertainment and the show from those who wanted to follow God. And those who wanted to follow God, well, they were going to have to lean in a little bit. They were going to have to ask some questions. Now, I, I think at this point, it's important to address a question that does come up uh, when we're having this conversation, and that would be simply this. Then, So Jesus is trying to eliminate people from the kingdom? Not at all. Not at all. Jesus wishes that none would perish. He wishes that none would perish. And in 2 Peter chapter 3, the apostle Peter addresses this very clearly. Jesus has been crucified. He rose from the dead. He has ascended into heaven. He said, I'm coming back, but he hasn't come back yet. And everybody's like, where's Jesus? When's he coming back? And this is what Peter says in, in chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you. Now, underline this if you're open to it. Not wanting anyone 
to perish. He doesn't want anyone to perish, but he wants everyone to come to repentance. That is the heart of God. But Jesus is realistic as well. He understands some aren't going to choose salvation. Uh, some, uh, some, the, the choice is open, but it's not just like, hey, I'm going to go to a show and, and I'm in. You know, I mean, he, there's a choice to follow him, to lean into him, to seek him. And God will not force that on anybody. Does that make sense? You got that? Good. Well, then in verse 13, it says, then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? This is important that we get this. And actually all these parables in this chapter, the farmer who sows the word, he goes on, some people, the farmer sows the word. Some people are like seeds along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. The other day I was planting grass seed up at my house and, and uh, I've done this before where I've gone out and just did nothing to prepare the soil, just hard soil and you throw grass seed down and you have flocks of birds that come and just eat the grass seed. Nothing ever grows there. You know, I had to get out there with a rake and, and dig it up. That's what he's talking about here. So it's a hard soil. If you walk on a path, it gets packed hard. The seed sits on top. The birds come and they eat it. And he says, that's Satan coming and taking the word from people whose hearts are, are hard. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word at once and receive it with joy. Now, what he's talking about here is a thin layer of soil over a, a bedrock. So it's a very thin layer of soil. Seed will sprout in that. Uh, as long as there's moisture, but when the sun comes out, it dries it up and there's no place for it to go to get, you know, to put down deep roots to get moisture. And so when, when difficulties come, uh, it, that faith dries up. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution, and underline that word, if you, got, if you have your Bible open, you can underline, underline the word when trouble or persecution comes. It's not an if, it's a when. Jesus said, in this life, you will have trouble. That's, this is part of living in the skin on the planet. Because of the word, when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word. So they hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. All right. Jesus explains a little bit. It's a little, a little easier to understand. Now, Jesus is talking to people who are predominantly from an agricultural um, society. They, so they understand agricultural metaphors and stories better than we do. I think uh, the meaning of this passage can get lost in today's culture because we just don't, we're not farmers, right? You're not a farmer. I'm not a farmer. Maybe you are a farmer and, and you do understand, but most of us aren't. Um, I think this is one of the most misunderstood passages and, and parables. I think a lot of Christians 
that I've talked to over the years think that what Jesus is talking about here are different scales of Christians. You've got your 30 Christians and your 60 Christians and your 90 Christians. And really what we're talking about is if, if you're really gifted at sharing your faith and, and leading people to Jesus, you'll lead 30 people or 60 people or 90 people. And we've got these, this different to, to Jesus. And, and, and that's, that's what he's talking about. And that is not what he's talking about at all. In fact, if you were a farmer, you would know every seed that is planted when it grows to maturity produces a bunch of other seeds, right? You plant an apple seed, it grows into an apple tree. Apples have what, 15, 20 apple seeds in every apple, and there's hundreds of apples on the tree. This is what seeds do when they grow to maturity. This is what, when you plant a, 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 a wheat seed, a kernel of wheat, it grows up and it produces a head of grain on a stalk, and that head of grain has, you know, I don't know, 50, 100 uh, seeds in it that you can plant all those. And, and this is what seeds do if they grow to maturity. The issue is not whether you're going to lead a bunch of people to Jesus or not. And we're all supposed to try and share our faith and all of that. And so please don't hear me saying we're not supposed to do that. But that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about, are you going to bear fruit? Are you going to be fruitful? And fruitful is, yeah, I'm sharing my faith, but fruitful is also the fruit of the Spirit, this is really a teaching about faithfulness and fruitfulness. That's what this is about. Faithfulness. It's about faithfulness in, in like staying the course, sticking with Jesus. Whether that's when, um, you know, when hard times come and, and, and things are, are, are difficult or, um, or the cares of this world, you know, we get distracted. Are we going to get distracted? Are we going to stay on target with him? Are we going to be to fall in love with money? Are we going to, to um, you know, are we going to lose our way or not? And it's about fruitfulness, and fruitfulness happens when we're faithful. Fruitfulness, not again, not the number of people you lead to Jesus. It's the the result of faithfulness. Every Every plant that makes it to maturity bears fruit. And, uh, and so the result of, of faithfulness is fruitfulness. And, and this includes, you know, like I'm sharing my faith. I'm inviting people to church. I'm sharing my story. I'm looking for opportunities to pray for people. But it's also, and maybe even more so, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These things start to come to maturity in my life as I walk with God and, and, and stay focused with Him. But what Jesus is saying, look, there's all kinds of things competing with that. And you can not even start when you hear the Word of God. You can start and get sidetracked for a variety of reasons, and He lays those reasons out. But every seed that comes to harvest will have a multitude of change. You'll see the fruit. People can look at your life and go, man, they're distinctively different than the rest of the world. Why do they have peace in the middle of a pandemic? Why, why are they joyful even though a loved one passed away? Why, why are they so real and transparent when everybody else is putting on a show? And, and, and they'll begin to see something different about your life, and that's the fruit of the Spirit coming out in your life. Now, the question is, why did Jesus teach this? Why is this the first teaching uh, about the kingdom? And um, 
And I'm not 100% sure why this one is the first one, but I am sure that he wanted his disciples to know, look, guys, I'm going to be sending you out. You're going to be scattering seed, and you need to understand on the front end. Some people won't listen to you. That's on them. That's their heart. You're not responsible for their heart. And some will listen to you, but they won't last. And again, you be faithful in scattering seed, and you be faithful in harvesting, but, but, but you're not responsible for other people's hearts. I, I think in one way, this is Jesus's way to help his disciples not get neurotic and not get overly forceful. Because when we think we're responsible for people's hearts, then we end up kind of getting forceful with people. And nobody responds to that. That's not even, that's not even effective. There's something incredibly winsome when you can just say what you think, say what you believe, say what God's doing in your life, but you don't have to like change somebody. Don't get all neurotic about it. It's ultimately, ultimately in God's hands. And don't take it personally. I think that's another reason Jesus does this. Invite them, and when they say no, don't get discouraged. Invite them, pray for them, share with people, uh, all, of, all of the above. But don't get discouraged. Don't take it personally. Because ultimately, it's between them and God. And, and, and God is going to have to work in their hearts, and they're going to have to open their hearts and all of that. It's not yours to carry. Now, some of you have been praying for your families for 20 years, hoping that they would come to faith. And you're like, well, I do feel responsible for them. You're not. Keep praying for them. I think that's what Jesus would say to you today. Keep praying for them. Keep living out your faith in a way for them to see it. But at the end of the day, you're not going to do it perfectly. And you can't make it happen. So take a deep breath. Relax. Don't be neurotic. And I think another reason Jesus taught this is because he needed them to understand there's going to be different responses, and, and he didn't want them to be surprised by it, and he doesn't want you to be surprised by it. It's not the fault of the farmer, and it's not the fault of the seed. It's where the seed falls. Now, you can't, and we've said this already, you can't be responsible for the soil of other people's hearts, but you can be responsible for the soil of your heart. And I think that's the other reason that Jesus taught this passage and this, this parable. He wants us to tend the soil of our hearts. And, and you know, one question that I ask uh, regularly of myself, and, uh, if, and I'll ask of you, is how is your heart? Really, how is your heart? Is it hard? Is it distracted by the worries of this life or the pursuit of wealth or whatever else? Are you distracted? Are you tracking with Jesus? Are you staying faithful? Are you going to make it to harvest? Because that's the most important thing. So anyway, I think the point here is staying faithful is how you become fruitful. Staying faithful. And we tend the soil of our own heart. The, the, the writer in Proverbs said, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. This, 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 is, this is something we can do something about. So in that light, I just want to real quickly cover four heart dangers that we need to avoid. 
Um, these are heart things. This is this help you tend your heart a little bit. The first one is this: having confidence in the wrong things. Having confidence in the wrong things. We don't find our confidence in a quick start. You ever meet, meet somebody who uh, they're a brand new Christian and they're like, oh, Jesus, you know, they're everywhere. They're leading, they're sharing everybody. I'm going to talk, I'm going to lead the whole world to Jesus. And they're, they're all about it, you know. You, don't, you won't find a farmer who gets really excited because the crop comes up quick. They're going to get excited at harvest time. You know, uh, we don't put our faith and our, our, our confidence in the fact that we prayed the Jesus prayer. Right? Jesus calls us to come and follow him. That starts with a prayer, but it's found in a daily decision to follow him. I'm not saying now, this is, this is super important at this point, point of clarification. I'm not saying that you're not a Christian if you struggle with sin. Because it would be easy to go, well, if I don't get it all, yeah. No, that's not it. If you struggle with sin, that doesn't make you not a Christian. That makes you a human being. Everyone struggles with sin, even Jesus' followers. I know you're going to find this hard to believe, but even I struggle with sin. Just kidding. Of course I do. We all do. And my confidence is not in my ability to not struggle with sin. My confidence is in Jesus and what he did on the cross. And he died for my sin to pay for all of it, all the things that I do wrong. The problem is when we stop struggling with our sin. The problem is, is when we give in to our sin, when we embrace our sin, when we start making excuses for our sin, or we stop fighting our sin. And if you do that, if you do that, your heart will grow hard very quickly. And uh, you don't want that to happen. So we put our confidence in the wrong thing. Well, I prayed a prayer. No, 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 no. Follow Jesus. Obey him in the, in the, in the little things. Our confidence is in, in, in what he did on the cross and staying the course with him. I think the enemy loves it when we think all we need to do is pray the Jesus prayer. But what Jesus said is come follow me. And again, as I already said, that's a daily choice uh, and something that we, uh, we do each, each, well, multiple times a day. Multiple times a day we make that decision. And I think this parable gets at that. Second, second heart danger to avoid is um, disobedience to what you already know. You know, if God tells you something, you're reading something in his word and you're like, oh, I need to stop doing that or I need to start doing this. Or you're listening to a sermon and you feel like God is just speaking to you, you, you know, whatever it is. I need to start tithing. Well, I don't really want to do that. I need to break up with her because she's no good for me. Uh, and you felt like that was what the Lord was telling you. Or maybe there was a scripture that really made that come, come home to you. And you're like, you know what? I'm not going to do that. I'm going to keep doing what I, what I was doing. Well, what, what will happen over time is the soil of your heart will grow hard. You're not tending your heart at that point. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 8 says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. When we disobey him and we continue to dis disobey him, this kind of ties in with the wrestling with sin. When we stop wrestling with sin or we stop obeying God, our hearts grow hard over time. The soil of our hearts grow hard. Third thing, th third danger to avoid is, is a shallow faith. 
that thin layer of soil over rock. It might be an emotion. You know, you went to a, a concert, Christian concert, and it was like, Jesus, 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 and everybody's like, you're like, yeah, Jesus. But then you don't do anything with it. You go home, you keep living the same way. You don't put down roots. You don't learn what he taught. You don't, you don't really grow and nurture your faith in him. Then, you know, uh, when hard times come, it's going to dry up, and there's not going to be anything there. I think the biggest way we see this in our culture today, and I see it among a lot of church people, is this. It's, it's not even a theology. It's more of a philosophy of life, and that is God is good when life is good. God is good when life is good, but when life isn't good, I'm not so sure about God. And I think this is why Jesus warned us ahead of time. In this world, you will have troubles. When hardship comes, not if, when hardship comes... You know, you're going to wither and die if you don't put down some roots. So build a faith that goes deep. Fourth, fourth peril, fourth danger to avoid is simply this, a faith where God is second in your life. God doesn't do second. He only does God. God wants to be in first place in our lives. And honestly, guys, until you get this straight, God in first place, everything else in its proper order, life doesn't really work very well. He doesn't do second. He says the worry, worry and deceitfulness of wealth, and as we read the other, the other gospels and see this, they also mention pleasures of this world. These are the things that kind of grow up and choke out and, and distract us from, from God's very best for us. Now, I would, um, you know, I'd ask you, how's your heart? Are you distracted? Are these things, because we can end up worshiping wealth and the pursuit of wealth. We can end up worshiping worry. We put worry in first place because we're so worried about things that we're not trusting God. That takes first place in our lives. And we can do the same thing with the pursuit of pleasure and, and other things. Now, I will say this. Worry is a good thing. Appropriate worry is a good thing. Like people who don't look ahead and see peril coming and make plans to deal with it are stupid, right? I mean, they're, they're headed for a cliff. We're supposed to have our eyes open and see what's coming and, and appropriately worry about it. But when we start to fret about it and lay awake at night about it and, and concern ourselves to the point that it makes us sick and we're not trusting God, well, that's going to cause problems. It's going to sidetrack us. The pursuit of wealth is not a bad thing either. If it makes us grateful and it makes us generous, the pursuit of wealth is a, is a good thing. But if it makes you greedy and it makes you competitive, it makes you prioritize that above God in your life, it will distract you, sidetrack you, and you won't make it to the harvest. And even, even pleasure is a good thing. Guys, we were designed for pleasure as human beings. I believe God wants us to enjoy this life and enjoy the good things along the way. We were made for it. You can just see it in our design. But without God in first place, it'll wreck your life. Without God in first place, you'll make compromises to get that pleasure. You'll develop addictions. You'll, you'll put other things before the people in your life who you love, and you will live with a world of regrets. But with God in first place, that makes sense. God needs to be in first place. Well, Jesus goes on. In verse 21, he said to them, 
Do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand, for whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears, let them hear. What is he saying here? I, I think what Jesus is saying here is ultimately the kingdom. If you live in the kingdom of God, it illuminates and it exposes your life. We love to have secrets. We love to keep our sin a secret. We love to put on that face and pretend like we have it all together. But God has the grace on our lives. Like there's no secrets in the kingdom of God. Eventually, it will be exposed. So stop trying to hide it. And he brings it out into the light so we can see it and so we can deal with it. It's his mercy on our lives. But there are people, and Jesus said this, there are people who prefer darkness. They prefer to hide things and parts of their lives. They prefer to pretend, to portray an image about themselves that isn't true, to live a double life. But there are no secrets in the kingdom of God. Of God and God will expose things that you prefer to hide. So don't even try to fake it in the kingdom of God. It's not worth it. It's and in fact, it's it's antithetical to God's way of living. I mean, God's watching, He sees it all, He knows. Stop pretending, guys. Now, I think in part Jesus was addressing the religious leaders because they were kind of famous for living a double life, for being hypocrites. And Jesus is saying, look, God's going to expose you for what you are. You can't walk in his kingdom and have privacy too. Part of living in the kingdom is transparency, and God will expose it or you can choose it, but transparency is the currency of the kingdom. This is why James writes, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other that you might be healed. This is part of how we grow. This is part of how we heal, not by hiding our stuff, but by living transparently. Iron sharpening iron, this is what I'm struggling with. Well, let me support you in that. And not judging each other in that, but supporting one another and helping each other along. And Jesus goes on in verse 24, he says, consider carefully what you hear, he continued. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. Whoever has will be given more and whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. Again, religious leaders living their double life, bunch of hypocrites, but they were incredibly hard on people. They judged people in the most critical ways and held them to standards that they couldn't even live up to. Jesus was like, don't do that. Live a transparent life. Don't hide your mistakes and your weaknesses. Share them. It's empowering to other people. They can learn from you. Let them learn from you. Humble yourself. Extend the same. And and then as you do that, extend the same grace to others as you've been given. And there's this captivating, authentic, transparent community that grows out of that that is just absolutely healing and magnetic for the world around us. So live transparent, live a transparent, open life and extend grace to others. That's the point of this one. And then in verse 26, he goes on. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. So we're back to the seed. Uh, and I think they tie together. It's, it's the scattered seed on the ground night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, underline all by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel 
in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts a sickle to it because the harvest has come. Farmer planted, and then like they didn't have tractors and chemicals and irrigation and all that back then. They just planted the seed, and then they prayed that the rain would come, and it was all up to God. It was completely out of the farmer's control at that point. And I think Jesus is saying, look, the kingdom of God is out of your control. You have a part to play. You have seed to sow. You have harvesting to do, but, but really the growth and, and all of that, we, we plant and we harvest, but in between, we can't make it happen. God's at work. Sometimes we can't even see that God is at work. God's at work even when we, when we can't see it. You know, last week, Christy, uh, my wife, planted some tomato seeds uh, in these cups, and we're starting our tomato plants, and... Um, and for a week, nothing happened. I mean, it was just like dirt. I'm like, well, when's it going to, you know. But under the soil, there was all this life going. I mean, the miracle of life going on. is, And then, and then all of a sudden, they started popping up through the dirt. And you're like, but, but I didn't see that happen. But God was at work, right? Even when we didn't see it. We put uh, 104 eggs in the incubator uh, about three weeks ago, and they, they started hatching just, just the other day. And, uh, and for three weeks, I'm looking at these eggs, and I'm like, nothing's happening. I mean, it's just, it's just an egg. I can't see any progress in this egg. And then all of a sudden, I wake up one morning, and there's a chicken. I mean, the miracle of life. But God was at work in those eggs all the way along, and now there's, there's a life. But I didn't have any control over that. It was all him. Guys, we're going to go through life, and there's going to be seasons where we don't see God doing anything, but God is at work laying the foundation, nurturing the life that is going on that we don't see, and we have to walk those times out by faith. In times of persecution, God is at work, even, even when we think he's asleep. And the, and the temptation that we will face is to live God's way as long as things are working. But when they're not working or when we can't see it, to take control ourselves. And that's where we have to make the decision to trust God. God is ultimately responsible for the growth of people, for your own growth, and for how you get there. Not you. It's him. Well, he goes on in Mark, uh, or in, in verse 30, he says, it, well, again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. He's, the mustard seed was, was tiny. It was just a speck, but it would grow into a, not a tree, but a shrub it could be about 10 feet high. Birds will make nests in it. It creates shade in the garden. It changes the, the whole ecosystem of, of the, the garden that it's in. But it starts as this tiny little thing, and it turns into something big. And God, I think, and Jesus is saying in the kingdom, God delights in using small things, unlikely things, to produce great things. For us, obedience in the little things can make big impacts in our world if we will obey him in the little things. See, the kingdom of God, Jesus at one point said, the kingdom of God is within you. 
And when you become a follower of Jesus, his spirit comes and lives in your heart. And his rule and his reign govern our lives. And the kingdom of God is within you. He's in your heart. And it might feel like a really small thing at first. But he will use it to change the world. He'll use it to change you. He'll use it to change the lives of people in your life. If you nurture the soil of your heart and you let it grow. But you have to trust him enough to do what he says. And for many of us, that's, that's the mustard seed. It's that little thing, that little act of obedience, obedience in the little things. And he gives us a little bit more and a little bit more, and it grows and it grows, and our lives begin to shape the environment around us, and his kingdom spreads. Well, in verse 33, it says, many similar, with many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. And again, we see Jesus teaching these parables a lot of times, leaving the crowd going, huh, I wonder what that was about. But the people who really wanted to know, the people who really wanted to follow Jesus and just weren't showing up for a show, they leaned in. They, they sought answers. They asked Jesus, what does this mean? How does this apply? What can I do with this? And he would explain it to them. And he will for you as well. Guys, if you are exploring faith in Jesus and you're like, I don't understand this and I don't understand that, I promise you, if you will lean in and not just walk away and go, huh, well, I wonder what that was about. But you will lean in and you will ask him the questions. He will show you. He'll reveal it to you. I love how he d does this in the context of a, of, a, of a smaller group of people because I think God does some of his best work in those environments. You know, if you're in a church at home group and you're having a conversation about this afterwards and you got questions, that's the perfect place to ask those questions and to lean in. Or in the, in the fall when we start life groups up again, uh, to, to ask those questions in those environments is good. And in, in the meantime, ask him. Lean in. Jesus said, you'll find me if you seek me with all your heart. And Jesus, Jesus at the end of the day, I think, in, in all of this is laying out that he is calling us to follow him, not just to, to show up and clap for him. And so I want to ask you as we close, are you following him? Have you gotten distracted by the wealth of this world, by, by the pursuit of wealth or by persecution or by difficult times? Or have you been satisfied with a superficial faith? that hasn't really gone anywhere. And maybe you haven't even hit a hard time yet, but when it comes, you know it ain't going to last. Or maybe your heart's been closed to him to this point, and he's starting to soften the soil a little bit, and you're, you showed up at church. And uh, I encourage you, tend the soil of your heart. Obey him in the little things. He'll do great things with it. And seek him and seek his answers. And if you will follow him and you will follow him through to the harvest, you will produce so much fruit. Your life will be so different and you will be a blessing and you will be a force for good and a force for change in this world and in the next. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for these, these teachings. God, I pray that you would just build in all of us, all who are listening, a, a solid foundation that we would 
help people find and follow you, God, and that in our own lives we would remain faithful and ultimately, Lord, we would be fruitful in your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for joining us here at The Vineyard. It's our greatest desire to see you find and follow God, and we hope that this podcast has helped you do just that. For more video messages and content, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. Again, thanks for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.